You're listening to Three Things to Know with Stephanie Haney, with experts and insiders on what you need to know in Northeast Ohio. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Three Things to Know podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Haney, and I am thrilled to have you here with me again for another edition of Three Things to Know. And today we're talking about something really fascinating that has been kind of in the zeitgeist if you will. This is something that I've been seeing kind of circulating online and something where I was in the newsroom the other day and I looked up on the TV and saw on Daily Blast Live, which is something that airs on NBC3 here in Cleveland, it's a national show, that they were talking about this trend of moms microdosing mushrooms. And I've been hearing about it, hearing a bit about it here and there. So I thought, this is something that, that we should maybe explore and be talking about. So I looked into it a little bit. We found an expert here in the Northeast Ohio area who's willing to talk to us. It's Dr. Brian Barnett. We'll get into his qualifications in a minute. But first, I want to just talk a little bit about this trend. So as I said, they were talking about it on Daily Blast Live. There was this article, this particularly in-depth article that I came upon from Harper's Bazaar. It was published in April, and it talks about these parents and it really kind of showcases the situation of these two parents living together in Brooklyn, New York and how they had been microdosing mushrooms three to five times a week and how it had, they said, positively impacted their parenting. This was a situation where there was a child from a previous relationship. So there was uh, there's a step parent situation. I'm going to link you to the Harper's Bazaar article. It'll be linked on WKYC.com and in the show notes and in the YouTube video of this so that you can find it fascinating and then another couple profiled in the article had talked about how it had helped them with their relationship issues and this is obviously all anecdotal these are specific situations and I also have to point out it's illegal it's not legal to do this but people are talking about doing it and there is a bit of a movement in the medical world toward this so here's some of the some of the things that were talked about in that article and you can read about it more in depth but it was kind of in the late 1990s that the medical world started picking up on wanting to study and see how psychedelics might impact people mentally and then in the past couple of years there's been uh, more of a trend toward and looking at psychedelics in the benefits in the mental health space when it comes to depression anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder for instance so let me name a couple of these studies in jama psychiatry j-a-m-a that's the journal of the american medical association psychiatry version in 2020 they found that psilocybin assisted therapy and psilocybin by the way is the active ingredient in these so-called magic mushrooms, in the psychedelic mushrooms. So psilocybin-assisted therapy had reduced or eliminated symptoms of major depressive disorder in 71% of participants within four weeks. That's definitely significant, no matter what you're thinking about uh, the, the legality of this issue or the potential pitfalls or the potential benefits. That's significant. And then there was an earlier study published in the Journal of Nervous and Mental Disease that reported about LSD being used in psychotherapy sessions. Now, we're not really getting into LSD today. We're kind of specifically talking about the magic mushroom trend. We may talk about LSD a little bit with our expert, but in this study, people who had been diagnosed with life-threatening illness experienced decreased feelings of anxiety. Here's something else that's interesting. The FDA is expected to approve the use of MDMA, that's ecstasy or molly which is a street name for a particular type of it 
in conjunction with talk therapy to treat PTSD. And that could come as soon as next year. So there is movement happening in this space. So this is a time to be talking about this thing. It's kind of on the cutting edge. And there's work being done with it here in Cleveland. So we're talking with today Dr. Brian Barnett. And he is the co-director of the Treatment Resistant Depression Clinic at the Cleveland Clinic. And he has been working in this space. So he is the person to get us in the know on this. He's waiting right now, so let's bring him in right now. Dr. Barnett, thanks for making time with us on the Three Things to Know podcast today. Thanks for having me. Okay, this is a fascinating topic. We've seen it kind of uh, a lot in the media. There are articles in Harper's Bazaar. They were just talking about it on Daily Blast Live. So what we're talking about today is this this trend, or at least this thing that we're hearing about now is microdosing with mushrooms and particularly with moms it seems to be a trend so we're going to get into all of this today but what i want to ask you first is removing the legality from the question why are people doing this why are we seeing people talking about this right now so there you know there's a lot going on in the psychedelic space right now it started out with clinical trials of full doses of, of psychedelics um, particularly um, psilocybin, which is uh, the active component of magic mushrooms. Um, and then there are other studies going on now with things like LSD, um, where they're beginning to, to find evidence um, that there could be benefit for mental health issues um, from these compounds. And um, over the last decade or so, this has expanded into to microdosing, where people take uh, smaller doses uh, of these compounds that don't really produce perceptual changes. Um, but uh, many people believe that that leads to improvements in things like anxiety, depression, can also help with um, creativity, uh, giving people an energy boost. And so there's, uh, there's lots of reasons that people are, are, are doing this. Interesting. Magic mushrooms as an alternative to caffeine for the decaf drinkers out there. <laughs> I'm one of them. <laughs> um, OK, so let's talk about that. You talk about microdosing versus something that would make a perceptual change. So I want to talk about that. Say you were to take a full dose, whatever it is, of a psychedelic mushroom, whatever that amount would be. What would you expect that to do to your body? How would somebody interact with that or experience that? So uh, the, the psychological effects are usually the most profound um, element of the experience. Um, and, and generally, people report positive effects um, where they, they notice that their mood is lifted. Um, they can see um, visual changes, uh, visual hallucinations. Um, and then uh, if they have what's called a mystical experience, they can feel that they're one um, with the universe or that they're having a, a very spiritual experience, possibly meeting God. Uh, and, uh, and so that's been um, linked to the... Uh, the mental health effects in those clinical trials. However, um, these are very um, setting dependent. And so if you if you take one of these compounds and it's not in a setting where you're um, you know, focused on, on wellness with people who know what they're doing, then you run the risk of a bad trip. And, and uh, you know, that can be very negative sometimes. Okay, that was a question that I wanted to ask you about. I'm gonna ask you that next, but first we were talking about a larger dose. So how does that compare? You know, uh, hallucinations doesn't really seem like something that a, a mom, let's say, could really kind of handle in a day-to-day -day when she's trying to take care of a child. So how does the reaction change when we talk about a microdose versus the full dose? Yeah, so so microdoses are generally one-tenth to one-twentieth uh, a standard dose, and so um, the aim that people are, are going for when they do this is to um, have a, a, a sub-perceptual uh, dose. So that means that they're not feeling any change in, in their cognition, how they're relating uh, to the world. 
um, not having impairments uh, in things like attention or, or, or their judgment. And so that's where the potential benefits of, of microdosing um, are, are thought to come from. Okay. The dangers, though, we have to talk about the dangers. You had mentioned if you're not in a setting where you're with maybe a trusted person who has, quote, been on this trip before, we'll say. What are what are some of the dangers that can come some from dabbling in this space? Well, uh, on, on the microdosing side, you know, they, there have not been a lot of um, randomized uh, control trials, uh, but there have been quite a few um, survey studies and observational studies where they ask people who've been doing this, you know, what have you been experiencing? And they systematically collect data. And uh, people in those studies, um, they, they generally report that, um, you know, problems with micro, uh, microdosing are pretty rare or pretty mild, but sometimes people can get anxious. Um, they can notice that it's hard to pay attention to what they're doing. Um, occasionally, it's hard to find the right words. Um, there's also um, evidence showing some increases in, in blood pressure and heart rate. And uh, a lot of this is it's difficult to tease out because these are people doing this on their own at home. So are these people really taking what uh, what they you know intended to be a microdose or you know, this involves, um, you know, people buying mushrooms on, on the black market, um, often, you know, crushing them up, putting them in liquid, maybe using a dropper. And so it's, it's very hard to, to say whether they're actually using microdoses or maybe the dose is a little bit higher than a microdose and they are feeling some of those psychological effects that you would from a normal or, or macro dose. Okay. And I have to wonder, no, you talk about people getting these on the black market in places. Is that, is that where people are getting these psychedelic mushrooms to do this or where I, if it's become such a trend i'm just wondering who knows how and where to get these things the so so i have a training um uh, in addiction psychiatry so i, I do work with a, a good number of patients who um you know have used a variety of drugs and access them in different ways and, and and my um you know my experience in talking with patients recently is that most people are still buying them still getting them from friends, um, but you know these are not things that um, have typically been as accessible as, as other drugs uh, until recently. Uh, but you know one of the unique things about mushrooms is that they, they do grow in, in the community, and so if you um, if you are able to uh, learn how to identify them safely, which there are risks because you could you know um, mistake them for other mushrooms, which could be potentially fatal, um, then some people are um, able to pick them on their own or even grow them uh, in their own house. Interesting. I guess it just seems like something that happens so far away. You don't think about magic mushrooms just kind of growing in a park in Northeast Ohio, but I guess they do, right? Yeah, there are species that are, are native to Ohio. Interesting. Okay, so it seems to have become very popular among moms. At least that's who we're hearing about in these stories that are coming out now. Again, there was recently a feature on Daily Blast Live about it. There was a big article in Harper's Bazaar about it. Do you have any insight into why moms specifically seem to be kind of getting on this microdosing of mushrooms trend? So when you, when you emailed me the the um, Harper's article, I read through that and I was actually um, surprised by that because most previous studies have shown that uh, people who microdose tend to be uh, men, maybe in their 30s. Uh, and so it, it does seem like there could be a shift in, in demographics there. Um, and, and I think, um, you know, th there are a lot of reasons why this might be happening. Um, you know, we're noticing a larger number of people who are not responsive to um, standard psychiatric treatments. And so if they're dealing with depression, anxiety, things that, uh, you know, particularly come up uh, during parenthood and, and for mothers who are often the ones primarily, prim primarily caring for children, 
um, then uh, it, you know it, it could be that we don't have the the right treatments to offer some of these people, and they're they're looking for them uh, on on their own. You know, hearing about research on on TV and on the internet, and uh, you know, taking things into their own hands. Okay, fascinating. We've talked about the microdose. You said it, it's one tenth to one twentieth of a full dose. I guess. So other than people putting these on food scales, what are they doing to try and figure out what a microdose is? So um, often like a, like a food scale, um, you know, might not even be sensitive enough, sensitive enough to, you know, um, get the, the, the right amount for this. And so um, there are more sensitive scales that, that people use, particularly if they're using um, LSD instead of psilocybin. So it, it seems like the two most popular um, psychedelics that are being used for this are LSD and psilocybin, but, but LSD is um, psychoactive at extremely tiny doses. And so um, often to try to get things to be more exact, because it's hard to, you know, cut an LSD strip into, you know, very, um, in a very particular way that's precise or cut mushrooms in, into, you know, the right weights, people will crush these up and, and um, you know, add them to liquid and make droppers um, and, you know, approaches uh, like that to try to be, uh, to try to have more precision in getting the dosing right. Okay. And working in this space, I have to ask too. So you've talked about psilocybin being the active ingredient in the psychedelic mushrooms. Is that in other medicines? Is there a reason people are tending toward kind of taking this into their own hands versus perhaps getting a prescription for psilocybin? Can you even get a prescription for psilocybin? So, uh, so you can't. So it's, uh, and I think that's one of the, the big risks with, with microdosing is, um, you know, psilocybin, LSD, these are, these are still schedule one drugs. And so the way that the federal government looks at them at this point is that they're drugs that have no medical benefit, um, which is arguable because there are um, you know, studies, um, you know, countering that, um, but that they have a high risk of, of abuse. And so right now uh, they are illegal to possess. And so, you know, you could run um, jail time if you're caught. Um, but uh, things are progressing, um, you know, pretty quickly on the research front uh, with psychedelics, particularly with psilocybin. And part of that is because psilocybin um, doesn't last as long as LSD. They're very similar compounds, but LSD can last up to 12 hours. And so it's, it's much harder to work with logistically on the clinical side, whereas um, psilocybin is closer to six hours. Um, but uh, yeah, like I said, there's a lot of progress happening there. And so if, if trials continue to to show benefit for, for things like depression and anxiety, uh, we could see uh, psilocybin approved as a medication probably within the next four to five years. And so at that point, it would be legal. I don't imagine there would ever be a point, um, although this could change you know, with microdosing research where um, physicians would prescribe psilocybin to a patient and give it to them to take home. So the, the way that the, the research is being done with the normal doses is uh, you go to a therapist's office uh, and you would get the psilocybin there and stay there during the entire uh, experience. Um, but yeah, you know, that could change um, if uh, if microdosing uh, research pans out. Okay, fascinating. Four to five years sounds like a long time, but that seems like a pretty quick turnaround in the medical world. Yep, and there's there's a lot going on with uh, MDMA, um, you know, also known as ecstasy. So that one is actually a little further in the drug pipeline for uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And so it's looking like that uh, could be approved within the next two years if the last clinical trial um, goes well that's needed to, to gain FDA approval. It is always fascinating to think, you know, I am a lawyer, so I've got the legal background. It's fascinating to think about things that exist in the natural world being illegal to possess. So uh, that's just a, an interesting foil. And of course, we could get into a whole different conversation about the legality of like marijuana, for example, and things like that. But always fascinating 
to think about how it can be made a crime to possess something that just grows in nature. And there's, I don't know how much you, you follow this, but there's a big movement to decriminalize nature that's happening across the U.S. right now. So uh, I think uh, Ann Arbor decriminalized a lot of these, um, a lot of these plants and, and, and fungi. Um, uh, Oakland, uh, California did as well. Um, and then uh, Oregon recently had um, you know, decriminalization for the entire state. Um, Denver's another city where this has happened. So a lot of people are, are um, you know, quest questioning that notion of, um, you know, should things that occur naturally be illegal to possess? Laws fluctuate all the time. And I always appreciate just from somebody who appreciates seeing people take an active role in their government. I always appreciate that kind of, a, of an initiative, especially at the local level, to, to question these things and say, hey, you know, maybe just because something's been done a certain way for a long time doesn't mean it should always be done that way. Go ahead. Were you going to say something? I, I think, um, you know, from from a societal perspective, it's it's always useful to, to reevaluate these things and make sure we're working with the existing data of, of the time to help us you know, make these important public health decisions. Of course, definitely. And we appreciate your insight on this. I've got one more question before we go for you. You may not have the answer to this. It's a very, a very abstract question. Do you have any idea of the prevalence of this here in Northeast Ohio? Not necessarily just among moms, but among moms, if you if you have that insight or just in general. So it, it's it's really, really hard to say The the data collected on this are pretty minimal. So there's the, the U.S. government actually does a survey uh, of people across the country every year. It's called the, uh, the National Survey on Drug Use and Health. And they, they take a random sample of people from across the country, and they, they do these long interviews with them. They pay them a, a little bit, and they do these interviews in person, and, and uh, they give them a computer for portions of it that are more sensitive. And they get rates of, of substance use for you know, all kinds of different substances across the U.S. Um, but um, that survey, it's... Um, you know, it's like a, a lot of things going on right now with uh, with the research on psychedelics. It, it's struggling to catch up with all these changes. And so it doesn't specifically ask about microdosing. So we really don't have reliable data um, on that at this point. Um, I think it's still pretty rare. I mean, I, I get the sense um, that it's much more prevalent uh, on, on the coasts uh, than, than in the middle of the country. Um, but uh, I, I do think it's something important that we do need to be gathering data on. And hopefully we'll see that survey effort by the government expand in the future so we could get numbers on this. Okay. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating stuff. Dr. Barnett, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate your insight and hopefully we can have you uh, back soon as this, this topic grows and we see what happens with it. That'd be great. Thank you. All right. Thanks very much. Okay. I had to take a little break after that conversation with Dr. Barnett because it's hot in here. I am recording this on uh, the heels of the 90 degree days, an 80 degree day here in Cleveland. So um, if I was a little glisteny, if I was glowing a little extra, you know why. So I had to go powder my face, but now we're back. So if you're watching this, you saw that if you're listening to it, lucky for you because you didn't get to see my face melting down my face. But anyway, thank you very much to Dr. Barnett for talking with us about this this trend, the prevalence of the use of mushrooms for microdosing. Again, remember, it is illegal, so we're not recommending any illegal activity here, but just letting you know what's happening in the space. And very interesting to know about some of the things that are forthcoming. We'll definitely be following up with Dr. Barnett in the coming months because there are some interesting developments happening here in the Cleveland, Northeast Ohio area when it comes to this. All right, so... If you're intrigued about mushrooms, let's get to what you need to know in NEO. I did a little looking around on Facebook. Facebook groups are so good for finding a community. And I found a group 
called Ohio Mushroom Enthusiasts. More than 20,000 members, it's a private Facebook group. So if you're interested in mushrooms, you can potentially join that if you're here in the Northeast Ohio area or if you're in the Ohio area or the surrounding area. There are some rules to join the group, okay? I learned some new rules or some new words as well while I was looking up this group. You have to be a mycophile, which is a mushroom lover, a mycophagist, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, it might be mycophagist, that's a mushroom eater, or a mycologist, which is someone who works with fungi and mushrooms, or a fungi enthusiast and you have to live in Ohio or an adjacent state. Now this is not a public group or anything, it's just a collection of individuals and there are some rules. You've got to be in Ohio or you have to be in a state that touches Ohio. Uh, you have to have been on Facebook for more than a month. They don't want any spammy accounts joining their group. And here's their important rule. If you recommend eating a mushroom that you cannot identify, you will be removed from the group. And they are also open to discussion of identification of fungi, but comments encouraging illegal activity are not permitted. But you are able to talk about the identification of fungi. So, but they're just saying, don't be telling people do this illegal thing, but they are open to identification of certain types of mushrooms. You know, as we talked about with Dr. Barnett, these magic mushrooms are just growing out in the wild here in Northeast Ohio. So if you're interested in mushrooms, you know, both medicinal and not, that could potentially be a good group for you. It's a Facebook group. Again, it is called Ohio Mushroom Enthusiasts. I will link it in all of the places. It'll be linked on WKYC.com on the show notes if you're listening on a podcast platform and also in the YouTube information if you are watching on YouTube. And again, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm so sorry that you had to see my face sweating off of itself during that conversation with Dr. Barnett. And speaking of Dr. Barnett, that brings us to a good follow. He's our good follow this week. He's on Twitter. It's Brian Barnett, M-D. That's B-R-I-A-N-B-A-R-N-E-T-T-M-D. And that is where you can find him. And that's what he uses for his professional information. So in the psychedelic space and the other things that he is working in, if you're interested, you can follow him on Twitter there. Brian Barnett, M-D, B-R-I-A-N-B-A-R-N-E-T-T-M-D. And that is it for our Three Things Snow podcast this week. Thank you so much for being with me here today. I appreciate you. We've got some great stuff coming in the next couple of weeks. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review if you can. That really helps us connect with more people here in Northeast Ohio. And if you found this interesting, share it with a friend because sharing is caring. And that's what we're all about here, wanting to expand our network here in the Northeast Ohio area and connect and really talk about the things that matter to all of you. So to that end, if there's something that you want us to talk about or something that people need to know in NEO or a good follow on social media, drop me a line, underscore Stephanie Haney on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Stephanie Haney, but I will tell you, it is much easier to get a response back from me on Twitter and Instagram because my Facebook messages are a total disaster and they are just a little bit more manageable for me on Instagram and Twitter. Okay, that's it for this week, my friends. I will see you back here next week with more Three Things to Know. Thanks for listening to Three Things to Know with Stephanie Haney from WKYC Studios. Subscribe now to stay in the know.